you know, imagine that you've just been cut off on the interstate. And uh, as an eight, my initial response is, that's injustice. Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. I was there. Why are you slowing me down? And I get really frustrated. And the problem is, is that if if I get to, if I stay there, then that, that like negative frustrated energy will stay with me. And not only does it stay with me on the interstate, I'll take it all the way home. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and today we begin our journey through the gut triad. Yeah, the gut triad. Yeah. The best triad. Finally, we're all here, ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, we're doing type eight, so I have to just really bring the energy. Can you tell? I'm faking it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, hey, just a reminder, if you've not yet listened to the type eight episode from season one, Head on back, listen to it, uh, because we're going to dive in pretty deep in this episode. So just a reminder, type eights, the powerful, when they are resourceful, these folks are confident, they're strong, they're empathetic, and they stick up for the little guy. When the eights are non-resourceful, they can be domineering, insensitive, they have a really acute fear of being controlled, and they just see life as a threat and a very hostile So this season, we're asking the question, how can I change? And before we move on to the good news, we first have to acknowledge the bad news about ourselves. And so here is Sam Stevenson (laughs) with your bad news. (laughs) Okay, so as we know, eights are in the gut triad and all of us that are in the gut triad struggle with guilt. And for the eight, guilt gives birth to the deadly sin of shamelessness or boundlessness. So let's talk about the top three particular ways that this deadly sin of shamelessness can manifest itself for type eights. And we're going to call these the three problems. So problem number one, resisting authority and limitations. What this means is that type eights struggle with the issue of just rebelling against authorities that are in their life. Mm-hmm. Limitations. Anyone that wants to put boundaries in place, there's just a there's a natural desire to push back against those boundaries. And there's a, there's a real temptation to just deny the authorities that are above them or around them. Yeah, I think that's really common for eights to often appear in leadership positions. And part of that probably is because they have this kind of innate fear of being controlled. So they would rather be the one that's in charge. Okay, so that's problem one. Problem two, denying weakness by exaggerating strength. So we talk about how eights are like these big advocates. They stick up for the little guy. They have all of this energy and they really love to protect and to take care of other people. But it's often because they are acutely aware of their own weaknesses. Yeah. So the the psychological defense for the eights is actually denial. Mm-hmm. And so literally, if you ask an eight and if they're not healthy, you ask them about some area where there's very there's clear evidence that they are having problems, that they're not doing well, that there's weakness there. They'll flat out deny it. No, right. that's not true. No, that did not happen. No, that's 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 not accurate. And so denial uh, is a really dangerous thing because it leaves them out of touch with how they're actually doing in life, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it comes to relationships. OK, problem number three, ignoring people and emotions that make you feel vulnerable. 
We say that uh, eights smell weakness like a shark smells blood. Mm-hmm. So they, they sense weakness in other people, but also they're super sensitive to feeling that weakness in themselves. And so uh, in situations where uh, they begin to feel these vulnerable emotions come up or they feel like they're dependent on other people and they don't want to be dependent on other people, there can be a real kind of aggressive reaction against that yeah. of avoiding those situations and denying those things. Yeah. Eights are in the gut trident, so they externalize their guilt, whereas the other types that we'll get into, um, they experience guilt in different ways. So eights, whenever they start to feel weakness or feel like that they can't measure up in some way, that just gets kind of externalized and a bomb feels like it's going off in the room because um, they're just trying to work out through what they're feeling inside. So that is the bad news, uh, but there is good news. The good news is that God invites us into our true selves in Christ. So eights in the gut triad, struggling with the issue of guilt. Well, what is the remedy for guilt? It's God's forgiveness. The only way for an eight to truly transform is to experience God's forgiveness. This forgiveness allows them to move into a posture where they can believe that God is going to be for them. He's going to take care of them. He's not going to betray them because... He is a forgiving God. He's not a punishing God. He's not after you to betray you and to take you down, but to offer you forgiveness. And that means that all of your shortcomings and your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities, they have all been dealt with. And if an A can truly accept and believe that God forgives them, then their guilt will heal and they can move from a posture of shamelessness to a posture of mercy. James 2.13 says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So let's explore what living a life of mercy looks like for type 8s. So we're going to take those three primary ways that the deadly sin manifests itself for this type, and now we're going to explore specific ways that God invites us out of our false self and into our true self in Christ. So we're going to look at each problem and then offer solutions for that problem. And just a note here, we've adapted a large portion of this teaching from Beatrice Chestnut's The Complete Enneagram, but we've infused it with Christian theology. And just a note here, too, that uh, we're going to give you way more tips than you can actually address at any one time in life. And so just know, like, pick one or two things and just focus on those because you're not going to be able to do all these things. So eights, gird up your loins. Let's (laughs) do this. like, challenge accepted. I will become the best person and I will have no more weaknesses in my personality. (laughs) Perfect. Okay, so problem one, resisting authority and limitations. So the first solution for this problem is see how resisting guidance from others actually limits you. So eights, again, like we said, that you love leadership, you love being seen as the one in charge. But remember, you need people in your life that can provide guidance to allow you to see, you know, hey, is this direction that I'm going actually wise? What's the trajectory here? Yeah, and I think it's important, too. Like, all of us need correction. Like, we need mentors. We need people that are going to guide us in the in the right direction. You know, eights, when you resist that type of guidance, you are limiting yourself. So as much as you want to be strong, you're making yourself weak by resisting guidance from those that are that are wiser and those that have gone before you. Okay, the second solution is focusing on your truth may limit the real truth. What this means is this. Eights, you guys have this really, really profound instinct. When you see something, you just see it, you know, with a great intensity. But what that also means is sometimes, eights, you will mistake your view as the only possible way of uh, seeing the truth, when in reality, you're probably only seeing a portion of the full picture. Another way of thinking about this is this. How do you know that you're not wrong? You know, how many times in life have you seen things a particular way and you've been positive you were right, 
only to find out you didn't have all the information and you did not see the full picture. I also think it's important to remember here that we have an authority in our life and that's the Lord and he has ultimate truth. He carries ultimate truth. And so the Lord is the one that has the full truth, the full picture. And we need to submit ourselves and to come under his authority because he's a trustworthy authority figure and he can be trusted. Okay, so that was solution two. The third solution is find the benefits of living within limits. You guys have like the most energy of anybody that I've ever met. And it it may feel like you're limiting yourself by putting boundaries and restraints on that. But think about a train for a second. If a train doesn't have tracks, it can't go anywhere. It needs boundaries in order to to be full steam ahead. If the train gets derailed or goes off the tracks, then there's a problem. And in the same way, if the train has no tracks, then it can't move. So no limits often bring harm. Yeah, living limitless is really dangerous. Like, you know, if you think about the times of like you eat too much, that's limitless eating. And then you go like, why did I do that? You know, yeah, so many um, regrets. <laughs> or like you sleep too much and you're like, oh, now I'm exhausted because I overslept, you know. So living without limits is to attempt to live apart from God's design for who we are. And so limits just help us. Um, God made us dependent. He made us with design. He knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. So let's trust him in that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so those are some of the solutions for problem number one. Let's talk about problem number two. Okay, problem number two, denying weakness by exaggerating strength. So the first solution is check with your head and heart before acting. Eights, you guys feel things super strong. You guys are intense people. It's very challenging for you at times because a situation arises and you know instantaneously what you think about whatever's going down. But learn to pause and to check in with your mind, meaning you're weighing out the facts and details before you and check in with your emotions. Am I angry because of something that happened in the past right now? Am I overreacting? Is there a part of me that feels afraid or insecure right now? And I really don't want to admit it, which is why I actually want to act even bigger. So it's really important that you utilize uh, the gifts of both your mind and your emotions, as well as your gut instincts. Yeah, I think that's really important. Find people that that are maybe in the head and the heart triad and surround yourself with them to, to have them be your consultants as, as you figure out how do I make this journey from being somebody that's so guttural into a posture of consulting with you know multiple aspects and components of who I am. Okay, so that's the first solution. The second solution is search for what is underneath your anger. Uh, we've said it before, but anger is a secondary emotion, meaning that it's not the main thing that's going on. So a lot of times when we feel angry about something, it's really because we feel either afraid, we feel like we've been taken advantage of, or we feel uh, guilty about you know something that we uh, did, and now we have to kind of atone for it in this way. It's whenever you feel angry, and whenever you want to take it out on the world around you, don't do that. Instead, think about like, What's this going to accomplish and what's actually going on underneath the surface? What I would encourage is to pay attention to the 90%. In other words, the 10% is the anger that you're experiencing in the moment. You're you're hacked off about something that's gone down. Underneath that is a 90%. In other words, it's the iceberg under the water. It's the big thing driving that anger. What is it? Mm -hmm. And there's a good chance that you may not initially know what it is, but you have to utilize that anger. Anger is a clue. It's telling you, stop. Pay attention. What's really going on in the depths of who you are? Okay, finally, the third solution. Remember, it takes strength to be vulnerable. It's. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When we sit down with you, and if we're having a conversation, and we begin to ask you things about your life, and you never reveal any kind of vulnerability to us, 
we actually begin to perceive you as weak. Vulnerability is necessary for healthy, thriving relationships. You have to be able to step towards vulnerability and weakness because you are human. You have them. Mm -hmm. Denying that they exist doesn't make them not exist. They're there. And the only way that they can be healed and the only way that you can have close relationships with other people is by accepting those things and acknowledging those things and admitting those things. Okay, so that was problem two. Let's move on to problem three. So problem three is ignoring people and emotions that make you feel vulnerable. So the first solution for this problem is notice when you're avoiding vulnerability. When you walk into a room, who is it that you're tempted to avoid having conversations with? Or when you feel a conversation drifting into a certain direction, what's that instinct in you telling you to pull it back into control? Is it a tender moment? Is it somebody who has needs? Is it a moment of weakness or charting into uncharted territory? Pay attention to that and ask yourself, what would happen if I were to go there? What would happen if I were to talk to this person? Or what would happen if someone asked me that question? Yeah, one time I had a friend and uh, they they were an eight and a couple of us got them into a room and started just asking questions about their marriage because we were really, really concerned. There were all these signs and symptoms that things were not going well. And this this friend of ours swore up and down, uh, no, everything's fine. And he made a beeline out of that room. He couldn't stand that level of conversation and that level of vulnerability. That caught up with him. The marriage really, really had serious problems mm-hmm. as the years went on. So H, just just pay attention. Pay attention to when you're feeling vulnerable and don't run away from it, but step toward it. Okay. The second solution is allow yourself to experience more of your emotions. All of us have particular emotions that we really like and that we really like to fixate on and that we feel really comfortable with. And for eights, those tend to be some intense emotions. It tends to be maybe excitement or anger. But just remember this, there's a lot of tender emotions inside of you, other emotions. And you probably experience some of these things in certain moments when you're Mm -hmm. holding a small child, when you're helping somebody who's hurt and wounded. We want to encourage you just to expand your emotional experience and to pay attention to other, maybe less obvious emotions. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, new nuanced emotions that eights maybe don't get to tap into because they experience things so profoundly and so intensely. So modern Enneagram suggests to sit down and choose a quiet reflective activity to do. Maybe that's coloring or crocheting or, you know, painting or something. And what do you notice as you slow down rather than constantly expend and spend your energy? Um, One of the ways that we can tell that eights are moving into this healthy space is whenever they're practicing empathy on a consistent basis. Okay, so finally, the third solution, be aware of your need for love. A universal truth for all of us is that we are wired for connection. We're wired for intimacy and vulnerability with other people. But eights, that stuff is just further out of your awareness than it is for the rest of us. So bring some of that into your consciousness. What ways can you show love to yourself and what ways can the people around you begin to express and experience love with you? Yeah, love always carries with it specificity. You know, a lot of times we think of love in this really broad way. But what we're talking about is be aware of your specific needs for love. You know, does that mean that you need quality time with the people close to you? Does that mean that you need someone to help you protect yourself from overbooking your schedule? Does that mean that you need affection from those that are around you, but you have needs for love? And our encouragement to you is just to surrender to that need for love, to surrender to the reality that you need God to love you and you need the people around you to love you because you cannot make it without them. 
Okay, well, those are our tips for how to step into the transformative virtue of mercy. When we come back, we'll be talking with marriage and family therapist, Brandon Smith. Stay with us. Eights are like rough and tumblers. Like you guys are really strong and really powerful, but it doesn't mean that you don't need other people. Yeah. And hopefully as this episode continues to progress, we'll give you more tips and you'll be able to hear from a really healthy eight just walking through life for them. But we actually want to introduce you to somebody else first. Okay. So this is Gideon Battis and he's actually a U.S. Army pilot. So he's a pretty tough guy, but here's what he had to say about his time serving with Love Thy Neighborhood. I feel like Love Thy Neighborhood taught me that I can't make it through life on my own, but you need the people who are there, the deeper connections, the deeper relationships of those who will come along and when they see that you're not doing well, actually dig in to try to figure out what's wrong, what's going on and how they can help. So if you are also getting to a place where you realize you really need other people and you want to learn how to do life more deeply with other Christians, apply for Love That Neighborhood. Head over to lovethatneighborhood.org, apply, and Sam will be in touch. Welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Brandon Smith. Brandon is a marriage and family therapist. He completed his MA in counseling from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in 2009. He has worked in community mental health agencies and private counseling centers. He is also the executive director for the Institute for Christian Psychology, a network of Christians committed to promoting Christ-centered soul care and developing a distinctly Christian psychology based on the resources available in the Bible, the Christian traditions, and good science. And he is an eight on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Okay, so I just want to know this. Like, when you first came across, you know, the description of the eight, did it resonate with you? I'll be honest. Like, when I first got my results back, um, I was like, how am I going to be a therapist? as an eight, like, I don't, maybe I need to find something else to do. If this is who I really am, because of the, my experience with other people that were eights that just weren't very resourceful, I was like, there's no way I, I think I can do this very well. My concern was like, after reading it and thinking about it, I was like, I may end up hurting a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I'm I'm ready to try to step into something like this. Mm-hmm. So it, it took some soul searching and uh, some talking to my own counselor that really helped me sort of see things possibly a different way. So you just shared the things you were afraid of. Yeah. But now that you've been practicing, what are some of the gifts that the eight energy brings that you're like, you know what, that's actually a gift in a counseling context? Yeah. Um, empathy for sure. I I do feel like I can feel uh, with a person when I'm sitting with people, especially people that have experienced injustice. I really do feel that viscerally. Um, and that helps me uh, feel connected to them. And hopefully it fe- helps them feel back, connected back to me. And so uh, bringing an energy and advocacy to that is something I've really enjoyed. Mm. How would you describe uh, shamelessness or boundlessness? Ugh, this is tough. Um, so shamelessness is, um, as I experience it personally, this sort of inability to see proper boundaries. I think part of it is our oversensitivity to justice and injustice in our own lives. And so we're unaware of sort of where those lines are in terms of like defending myself or, or trying to advocate for myself against another. Sometimes we, we bring too much energy 
And as opposed to trying to create space for ourselves, we interrupt the spaces of other people. Mm. Yeah, that's helpful. That's mm-hmm. a helpful distinction. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about the problems that we've just gone through. Yeah. So problem number one is resisting authority and limitations. So how have you seen that show up in your life? I think for me personally, uh, as I think about family relationships and people that I've worked with, it's something that shows up more on the onset than it does like as you've gotten to know someone. And so you're constantly aware, at least I as an eight am aware of like, okay, are they safe? Are they not safe? You know, is this a person that, you know, if I show them my cards, like what's going to happen? Again, because in the background, for me as an eight at least, is this uh, this story of like once people see your cards, then they get to decide whether or not you get to stay on the island or they ask you to leave. And once you've been asked to leave, you're like, that's never happening again. So a lot of resisting authority is uh, trying to make sure that uh, in unhealthy ways that I maintain some control and uh, am not am not dominated by that person. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So so God invites eights into a life of mercy. Which of the three solutions that we were talking about before the commercial break have you put to use in your life, and what has that been like for you? So um, the one that I've experienced personally as being helpful is focusing on the fact that my truth uh, may limit the real truth. So one of the ways that that's worked out is, you know, imagine that you've just been cut off on the interstate. You know, you're driving uh, home after work and uh, someone just gets over in front of you. And uh, as an eight, my initial response is, that's injustice. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? You know, Mm -hmm. I was there. (laughs) Why are you slowing me down? And I get really frustrated and the problem is, is that if if I get to if I stay there, then that that like negative, frustrated energy will stay with me. And not only does it stay with me on the interstate, I'll take it all the way home. And after a long day at work, is that something that I really want to bring in and have to experience with my wife and my kids? No, I don't. Like that's that's not helpful. That's not what I want. And also, that person probably stopped thinking about the thing that happened if they were even aware of it seconds after it took place. Right. You know, so for me, it's testing motivation. So maybe it's not malice. Maybe the reason that that guy cut me off on the interstate wasn't because he's a terrible person. Maybe he just didn't see me. Mm -hmm. That's possible. I think I've probably done that, right? Like I've definitely accidentally gotten over in someone. So that's a possibility. The other one is that maybe there's some sense of hurt or brokenness that's there in that person's life. And that's driving the behavior that I feel like is personally offensive. So when he got over in front of me, Maybe he's not thinking about what's going on, but he's trying to get to the hospital to see a loved one that's really sick or dying. And that's what's going on in his world. And so I've found that if I can go to one of those other two places besides malice, that 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 expands my sense of truth and that that helps me um, not only uh, no longer harbor the sense of just negative, frustrated, little curmudgeon sense inside myself, but it also will help me to sort of like advocate for the other person. Like, look, if if that's where you needed to be, like, take it, man. Like, that's yeah. going to take me two more seconds to get home because of that. Yeah. And then let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's mercy. It's it's going like, I can find all the reasons to come after you right now. I'm choosing to find the reason to not come after you. Right. Yeah. Totally. That's good. I remember uh, there was a sermon a while back talking about the fruit of the spirit and uh, talking about gentleness and how... Meekness is not weakness. It's controlled strength. That was like, that's verbatim what the pastor said. And, you know, because Jesus, when we, we think about Jesus being meek, like he wasn't feeble. He wasn't, he wasn't powerless. You know, he had the power of the universe, you know, he was God's son, you know, but he, 
he humbled himself. He, he restricted himself and had restraint, you know, for the benefit and advocacy of others and on our behalf and praise the Lord for it. So, mm-hmm. so now we're talking about kind of like strength and weakness. So uh, problem number two said denying weakness by exaggerating strength. Does that happen for you? Like, what's that like? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's so uh, the way that that typically shows up is if I have a an exaggerated sense of injustice that's been carried out against me, I'll have the tendency to try to get big to sort of ward off any potential threat that I might be perceiving. And really and truly what I need in that moment is to is to check in and see what's actually going on. Because I think it's not the deepest part of me in my experience is the anger, but it's actually the fear that's beneath it. And whether it's a fear of being dominated or controlled or losing something or being abandoned, those are the things that are operating uh, beneath that bigger angry shell that shows up. Hmm. All right. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about then uh, problem number three. Sure. Um, so, ignoring people and emotions that make you feel vulnerable does that strike a chord? Yeah. So the the people that I typically find myself um, moving away from, uh, if I'm being honest, most of those people have their things, their tells within them that honestly remind me of myself. Yeah. And so I think that there is a move there to, uh, in a non-resourceful way, to move away from those people. Uh, because I don't want to be confronted with the reality that the, the thing that I'm seeing in them is actually a thing that I have in myself. Yeah. Um, now, as I've grown, I've actually been able to see some change in my own life and be able to move towards people in that way yeah. and see that uh, there may be something I can really learn from this person about life uh, from their perspective um, that I haven't figured out on my own yet. And mm-hmm. so it's difficult and I still don't, you know, it's not something that, that I do naturally, but moving towards people and individuals like that has been helpful. Uh, I wish I could say I do it more than, than I do, but um, I'm still growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've been talking about like vulnerability and connection. So how do you lean into the tender side of, of your personality? That's a tough question. Um, it's, it's honestly my experience, um, especially this part of my journey, where a lot of that looking back has come through just sort of hitting points of exhaustion for lots of different reasons. Mm. Uh, the most recent one um, was about, was just over a year ago, my wife and I, we found out that she was pregnant. And at the end of 2017, in October, we found out that um, our son uh, had trisomy 13. And it was a, uh, a very fatal form of it. Mm. Um, and so, of course, you know, we're our heads are spinning and we're trying to figure out where the ground is. And the doctors are like, uh, you know, what, what do you guys want to do? And they were like, your options, these are your options. And uh, they're like, of course, if you opt for an abortion, uh, you're going to have to go out of state because you're past 20 weeks. And that was never on the table for us. So for me and my own story here recently, there was nothing I can do in my power to make that right. Like there's no way to fix mm-hmm. my son. Yeah. And there was there's nothing that we could do to, you know, even spare our kids from the difficulty of, of what was going on. Uh, we have three other kids, and um, it's hard to, to help each of them because a, a nine-year-old and a six-year-old and a three-year-old are all going to process this so differently. But it was only in sort of this experience of, I've got nothing. 
I can't fix this. Yeah. There's no strength that's going to be able to change the outcome. Um, the only thing that we can do is just be present with each other and know that what we're feeling uh, is real and that if we try to avoid it, it's not going to make things better and it's certainly not going to make anything go away. Mm. Um, and so, you know, in January of last year, in 2018, uh, Oliver was delivered on the 30th and we were with him. He was with us for 36 hours. And our kids got to see him and hold him and, and, you know, play with him as much as they could play with their baby brother. And then because of the just the terrible stuff that was going on in his body because of his diagnosis, uh, he passed away after 36 hours. That was such a beautiful time for us. It was, it's painful to look back and remember that he's gone, but to know that my daughter got to hold her brother because we had decided that if, if he had passed away during uh, birth, that um, they wouldn't see him. So the fact that he was alive yeah. and that he was with us and that they got to hold him and kiss his head and, and hear him uh, was so wonderful and it was a gift. Uh, but it's it's really, really, really painful because even looking back, there's just nothing that we could have done and my strength or my wife's strength or no amount of money or you know resources that could have saved his life. You know, it's fascinating to hear you talk because like you're tapping into this mystery like Hmm. what you're describing is tragic and very very sad and it was also the moment in which you're saying god invited you into something new yeah and something beautiful came out like a whole new portion of who you are as a person was released and unlocked and you know and yet it was also sad it's like Mm -hmm. it's like those both those things together yeah that's true that's that's exactly what happened the difficulty is is like it doesn't it's not really beautiful in the process right like the the way that uh my wife and and i experienced this season of of loss and then as we've begun to heal afterwards we'd love to say looks like you know the sort of cute hallmark film but the reality is is it's it's messy and it's ugly and then you know, um, her damage and my damage oftentimes sort of like activate each other in, in really unhealthy ways. And so we've had to have help and resources outside of ourselves work through that. Um, it's just, it's very difficult. But the cool thing is, is you're right. And I think that, so I have a seven wing. And so, you know, I lean into that some. And so to be able to see that, like, there is something beautiful that's going to come out of this. This wasn't just something that that just happened and, uh, oh, well, that's that's how things go that uh, God has a purpose and that the story doesn't just end with the loss of our son, but that it it ends, you know, in the reunion that we get with him, uh, you know, through Christ on the other side. And that's something that has given us, you know, not really a new hope, but like a new energy to our hope mm-hmm. uh, to look forward to what life on the, in the eternal side looks like. Mm. Yeah. Um, let me, let me switch gears for, for our, our last question. And, you know, um, eights, in the gut triad, struggling with this issue of guilt. Hmm. Um, and then the guilt, you know, gives birth to shamelessness. But our belief is that guilt, the solution, the healing component for guilt is God's forgiveness. And so can you talk just a little bit about wh- what does God's forgiveness do to you as a person? You know, that played out in another part of my story earlier on. I really used to struggle, you know, sort of the Christian culture tribe, if you will, that that I come out of is very... Um, sort of heavy sin oriented, you know, sort of hellfire and brimstone preaching. And if you don't accept Christ today, then, uh, you know, you may bust held wide open this afternoon. And so my my vision of God growing up was much more that one. I had to choose between seeing God as sort of this exacting, 
you know, sort of all powerful tyrant that was like just waiting for me to screw up so he could like throw a lightning bolt at me and just destroy me. Or that I would have to see Jesus and see him as uh, this, this loving, compassionate, merciful savior that had compassion on me and died for me, gave himself up for me. And uh, this all happens like after I'm done with Southern. It's, you know, I'm, I'm out of seminary and I'm not realizing these things on my own until I'm alone one night in my house thinking about just the struggle that, that I have been in my own faith and seeing God in this way and how just oppressive that feeling was. And so to lean away from my experience of guilt and lean towards forgiveness was so freeing uh, because it, it gave me a new sense of, of God's for me. You know, if you think about it, like even in the Lord's Prayer, like it's a reminder to me all the time that this has to be true because when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he has them and instructs them to request that their needs be met before their sins are forgiven. And so there's not this inverted relationship that I sort of learned growing up, which is that like God, God will bless you, but you better get right with him first. Mm-hmm. No, he's, you know, Jesus says he's your father. And so ask for food and then ask for forgiveness you know, do both, but there's no sort of play on needing to have been forgiven. Um, yeah, to earn the food. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. And then God's mercy. I mean, receiving mercy from God, is that how you are able to give mercy to others? Yeah. I So for my that moment in my story that I'm describing when you know I'm praying and, and visualizing these things, the next day after sort of like having a moment with God where I was like, okay, then this is what I'm going to trust. Like I'm going to, I'm going to try to move forward in faith. And so to experience the lightness that I did the next day and sort of this, I almost, I remember I had to go get something from the store and I got out of my car and I literally felt like I might be floating a foot off the ground Mm -hmm. uh, because it was so different than this sort of like heavy force that I had been under. And so I absolutely, you know, I want to see that for other people, especially people that have struggled through lots of different types of things in their own story, that God is for them in that way, and that his love and forgiveness is so big that there's nothing that they've been through, whether it's their fault or someone else's, that is going to separate them from that. You know, it's it's not something that we can get to super quickly or easily, but, you know, over time, that story will win out in a person's life. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, uh, we've talked about some heavy stuff. I think we're due to uh, act like fools for a little bit. (laughs) So when we come back, we'll be playing Your Worst Nightmare and answering listener questions with Brandon Smith. Stay with us. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring type number eight, the powerful person. And powerful people are very sensitive to the needs of those that are forgotten, those that are marginalized and pushed aside. Well, if you want to hear what happened when some powerful people decided to advocate for the ethnic minorities in their church, head over to our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number one, where the gospel meets racial reconciliation. Really, man, I love the black church. A lot of our congregation are white, upper middle class hipsters. Hey, we could, there's some gospel tunes. What if we did some of those? There were African-Americans who were angry that we were talking about this. Just, she didn't hear. She did not hear. Reconciliation is at the heart of God. It's so easy to judge white people. Multi-ethnic worship is at the heart of God from the very beginning. So subscribe wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Just search for Love Thy Neighborhood. Or head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast.
Welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now it's time for Your Worst Nightmare. Alright, so Your Worst Nightmare is a real game. You can find it on Amazon or head over to PressmanToy.com. Okay, so Brandon, uh, here's how the game works. Each round, there are four cards. Sam is going to read these cards off to you, and then you're going to put them in the order in which you are afraid of them. One uh, being the most afraid, all the way down to four, which is the thing that you would be the least afraid of. And you can't say they're all fours. I know you're at eight, but you're not allowed to say, like, I'm darn. None of these things scare me. Exactly. Uh, You're going to write your answers down, and at the same time, I'm also going to rank the order in which I believe that you are afraid of those things. So everyone that I get right, meaning that I ranked it correctly, I get a point. If I get all four correct, I get five points. At the end of the game, if I have nine points or more, I win. But if I have uh, less than nine points, you win. Right on. Do you like to win? Yes. Yeah, you seem like a competitive guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Well. Okay, may the best man win. Uh, that'll be me, because I'm going to destroy him. Okay. So that's what you think. <laughs> yeah, let's find out what cool. happens here. So round one, <laughs> chickens. Uh, number two, politicians. Three, fear. And four, GMOs. Genetically modified organisms. Let me know when you guys are ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Brandon, what were your answers? Number one. So is this least? F- no, this is the most afraid. Most afraid? Yeah. Fear. Boom. Got it. Number two? Politicians. Boom. Got it. <laughs> Three? GMOs. Yes. Yes. And four chickens? Chickens. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's so good. I got five points that's, right out of the gate. That's, that's that like impressive. never happens. Yeah. yeah. I'm usually rare. terrible You're at this. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, that. thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that. In my mercy, I'm trying to help you. Hey, I appreciate that. That's good. <laughs> Active <laughs> mercy. You're so much resourceful energy happening in the room. Uh-huh. See? <laughs> All right, Jesse, you got five points. Ready? Round two, We're getting ready. tickled. <laughs> getting tickled? Yep. Okay. Uh, number two, losing. Number three, snakes. And four, driving next to big trucks. So getting tickled, losing, snakes, and driving next to semi-trucks. Oh, this is a good one. Mm-hmm. These are some good... Legitimately, these are all fours. Really? No. No. no way. No way. Because <laughs> this has to do with like personal space. That was an space. intimidation. That was an intimidation move. This, there's like, like he's that? trying to shake me off. Personal yeah. space being infiltrated. I know. These are legit. These are, I think these are really good ones. Okay. All right. Man, I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel really Brandon, shaky you on this answers? one. Yes. Okay. Okay. What you put for number one? All right. So number one thing that I'm afraid of in this set, losing. Boom. <gasps> I got it. You? Okay. Big trucks. No. Really? No. Yeah. Really? I would not have. Well, I, it's, like I said, none of these things. None of these are like triggering you or anything. Mm, none of them. Yeah. yeah. But just in general. Yeah. The my most. mom got okay. hit by a big truck when I was little, so well, I guess that's the only thing I could yeah, come up yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that would, would make amazing. sense, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so number three. Uh, snakes. Okay, I got that one. I did get that one. Four. Tickled. Tickled. Yeah. Okay, so I said, uh, I, I thought losing... And then I thought getting tickled, but I guess it depends on who it is. If it's your kids, that's all fine, you know, but, you know, some stranger stranger. comes up and starts tickling you. I'm imagining that ain't going real well. No, probably not. But I can't imagine a scenario in which any human being would enjoy that. Yeah, it wouldn't necessarily be 
a fear-based thing so much as like a reactive, like I will maybe beat you up. I, I, I would find it. I mean, it would be a very weird experience for sure. I might yeah. be amused by that, that yeah. someone would enter my personal space and tickle me without knowing me at all. It'd be wow. very, very... Sort of that's what them. we should do next season of the Indian cast we should just do these things in real life and yeah, see you, what happens you oh, will yeah. do that I will have moved on oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you will have <laughs> moved on I will no longer be the co-host <laughs> <laughs> alright okay so I'm up to seven points oh wow. man all you I need is need... two more points well okay this is for all the marbles number one toilets overflowing number two mice slash rats okay three clowns and four ridicule Okay, so toilets to- overflowing, overflowing toilets, mice, mice, or rats, mice and rats, clowns, and ridicule. Yep. I'm ready. This one's tough because I feel like it could get into like uh, childhood phobia stuff that I'm not aware of. Mm-hmm. So that's the part that's, <laughs> that feels tricky. All right, I'm, I'm rolling the dice. Okay, Brandon, what was your first? Clowns. Oh, really? Oh, man. Over ridicule. Oh, big time. Really? I, yeah. Clowns. Well, I saw, like, I remember when I saw it. Yeah, well, as a that, kid. there it is. Uh, I used to be a clown in a circus. Ooh, True story. Terrible. Yeah, nope. as a child. In the, my in family ran a circus, and no. uh, I was a clown in it. Yeah. Mm. Okay. okay, two. Ridicule. Yeah. Three. Toilets. And four. Mice. Oh, Jesse, did you not get Heartbreak. any right? <laughs> I got zero, zero oh, points. You were so close. I'm so Man, sorry. it's the clown thing. You knew it, it was yeah. a phobia. Because what was it? It was. It went ridicule, then what? It went ridicule, uh, toilets, and then mice. I because it was I, the right order. If I had only known, known about the clown thing, how much you yeah, hate clowns. It's true. I could have. I would have. Man, well, you should ask better questions next time. You would have gotten to the clown thing. <laughs> the, 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 like, what were I think he just, did he just ridicule me? <laughs> yeah. That was that was yeah. That was it's your fault. Incredible. Was, yeah, uh, came on my show. It insulted me. That was good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, good uh, question. Hey, well, you congratulations. At? Good job. Oh, thank good you. Good job. Yeah. Good job. All right, and now it's time for listener questions. Uh, So the first one comes from Kelly M. Wales, and she says, how do I calm the F down? (laughs) Great question. Well, Kelly, how many brick walls do you have access to? Just try running into those until you're... End of your energy is. It? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, find some sixes and befriend them. Mm. They'll calm you down. Well, unless they're anxious. Unless they're anxious, <laughs> and it yeah, could get worse. Yeah. Just ignite the fire. Find some resourceful fire. six friends and then calm down. Yeah, uh, uh, take some deep breaths. Go what on a long nine? jog. Do you see nine friends? Yeah, we're the calmest. You guys are calm. It's yeah, you're super calm, but we're also irritated by your peacefulness. I know. Yeah, we like conflict too much. I know. And we you will won't not spar with us, yeah. but it, you can get a six counterphobic, and then they'll spar with you. Ooh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Next question is anonymous. As a non-eight, can you help me understand why eights seem to lead and mentor others really well, but seem to struggle in peer-to-peer relationships? Are mutual friendships hard for some eights? Uh, my experience is that um, because peer relationships require vulnerability and mentor relationships don't, uh, and also eights um, typically enjoy feeling like they're advocating for someone else, uh, you're going to experience that more in a mentor relationship than you would a peer relationship. So personally, I would say that the reason that an eight might experience relationships that way has to do with that dynamic about vulnerability. 
Uh, if you're friends with someone, then there's an interrelationship that goes past what you're willing to share versus um, sort of the, the relationship you have with someone you're mentoring, which is you're always in the power position giving them something. So what can an eight do about that? I mean, what an eight needs to be aware of that, right? Totally. Okay, do, are all the relationships in my life, am I basically set up to be the authority figure? Yep. And And if the answer is yes, okay, that's not healthy. So how does an eight take that next step of developing mutual friendships? Uh, yeah, good question. So I would, you know, personally, the things that have helped me is just being aware. Like, you know, how many how many helpful, how many relationships do I have where I'm, I see myself as being able to offer this other person something versus having um, a peer relationship or honestly a mentor or a counselor. Uh, eights may not like to admit it, but we need therapists just as much as anyone else. And so do your own work. Uh, and that should help clear up some of your shamelessness and inability to to see that uh, those peer relationships honestly are more important than the mentoring ones. Mm. Wow, that's a really big insight. Uh, okay. Okay, this next one is another anonymous question. How do you effectively communicate with an eight during conflict? Oh, man. Uh, de-escalation. You know, if if they love conflict, and so they're they're not going to be one to back down quickly. Uh, so in the middle of it, if things are getting, you know, bigger and louder, uh, that may be something that they actually in, enjoy. Uh, so I would encourage you, uh, you know, if if you're trying to con- if you're trying to communicate with an eight during conflict, maybe uh, maybe we sit down <laughs> and we try to to use uh, sort of inside quieter voice voices as opposed to um, getting big and going head-to-head with an eight because they love that sort of thing. That's just sort of, you know, that'll just put a lot of air and gas on their fire. Uh, If you want to resolve it with them, you'll pull all of that energy off of it just by sort of trying to be calm and have a discussion with them because they they have access to parts of themselves as a two and a five, so they can get there, um, but they're not probably going to get there by feeling challenged. You're just going to sort of antagonize them. Would you antagonize them, though, by saying, can we calm down or can we stop yelling? You know, would that just make them mad that we aren't doing things their way? Oh, yeah. You're probably going to have to be a little savvier than that. But (laughs) given eights can be shameless, it's not – sometimes it doesn't take much work to get us to calm down. Honestly, you don't even necessarily have to flag it. uh, But they may just be able to sort of follow you there. Uh, And, you know, if not, then maybe you have to say, hey, it seems like this isn't very productive. Seems like we're just sort of, you know, engaging in sort of a loud bicker match back and forth. Is this what you want right now? And it may be because they may enjoy the conflict. Mm-hmm. But if if they're actually trying to resolve something or want to resolve something, they may be able to self-disclose that, hey, well, yeah, I enjoy that. But uh, if we're going to get to a resolution, we probably need to chill out a little bit. Let me ask a sort of a related question then. One of the common complaints uh, that people have in relationships when people are living out of their non-resourceful aid is, I don't feel heard by you. And that directly relates to this issue of conflict. Yep. So oftentimes, you know, somebody goes to an eight and they're trying to express, I have a concern or a frustration or a disappointment. What is the best way for that person to sort of package it in a way where the aid is most likely to be able to receive it? And, you know, so this other person feels heard. Yeah. I think for eights, the, the big thing is to if they feel like you're coming alongside of them and not at them, then they'll they'll understand the relationship differently. So it sounds, maybe it sounds counterintuitive, but one thing to do if you recognize that you're dealing with a reactive eight is uh, to take 
sort of the more mature sibling approach and recognize that like they're this is not their best parts of themselves. And so the way that I'm going to best and most effectively communicate to this person is by coming um, alongside or even from like a man down position. Because if you if you try to sort of like come at them, you know, face to face, they may feel like uh, you're inviting them to some sort of conflict. Uh, and they're probably more likely to hear you if you can come from one of those other positions because they won't be threatened. It, is it a helpful uh, question to say something like, you know, hey, what kind of friendship do you want this to be? Or like, I'm almost imagining like you're planning a new flag. Like and now it's like we're together on a team working towards this new goal. Yeah, that's yeah. And so, yep. and so you go like, what kind of marriage do you want us to have? What mm-hmm. kind of friendship do you want this to be? Um, what kind of work environment do you do you want us, you know, to cultivate or whatever? Does that seem? Does that resonate at all? I think so. Yeah, I, because eights can be goal oriented and they love action and, and movement, and so that can sort of. Uh, clear things up in terms of like how the alignment, the relationship is happening. Like we're not coming at each other, but we're alongside and we're, you're trying to work together with me to get somewhere versus like against me just to sort of either defeat me or prove me to be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon, it's been good, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thanks for sharing everything with our listeners. Well, thank you to our guest today, Brandon Smith. To learn more about the Institute of Christian Psychology, visit icpconnect.org. They have some incredible workshops related to counseling, self-care, and faith, and can also direct you to like-minded counseling services around the country. Again, visit icpconnect.org. Also, thank you to Crosspoint Ministry, who trained Sam and I in the Enneagram. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their amazing retreats, visit crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by a Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Yeah, come serve with us. We are better than social media. That is true. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.